Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. So glad you could be with us for this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our discussion of a doctrine in LDS theology regarding the fact that apparently there are many Earths out there, many worlds or planets out there that are inhabited, not just inhabited, but inhabited with humans like us. Now, certainly science hasn't proven that fact. The Bible certainly doesn't support such a fact. But when you believe in Latter-day Revelation, as many faithful Latter-day Saints do, and you believe that Joseph Smith was in fact a prophet of God, then you are opening yourself up to beliefs like this. Yesterday, we looked at section 76 in the Doctrine and Covenants, where Joseph Smith seems to be saying that there are other earths that are, in fact, inhabited. And we were citing from an article that was published in 1985 in the New Era magazine, an article written by a man by the name of Larry C. Porter, who spent his life in the church educational department. He wrote an article, Is Jesus Christ the Savior of All the Worlds God Created or Just Ours? Well, today we're going to look at a couple more statements from Brigham Young, the second president of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In October of 1859, this was October 8, 1859, and I haven't checked, Eric, but that could very well be a conference message because they do hold general conference in the first portion of October. And if so, then this message would have a, an extra significance, if you will, because it is spoken in a general conference. But Brigham Young said this, and you can find it in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 333. How many gods there are, I do not know. But there never was a time when there were not gods and worlds, and when men were not passing through the same ordeals that we are passing through. That course has been from all eternity, and it is and will be to all eternity. And that causes me to ask that question that I've been asking throughout this week. Are we to assume if there were always gods and worlds and that there were men on these worlds, as Brigham Young is implying, were they experiencing their history the same way that we experience our history? Why would you think that their lifestyle and the experiences that they have would be much different than ours? And wouldn't that seem to imply that you would have, of course, a savior on that world? And we're going to talk about that through Brigham Young. But then you're also going to have to experience, I assume, a great apostasy of Christ's church, making it necessary to restore the church. Do our supposed brothers and sisters living on these other worlds experience what we have experienced historically regarding our religious history? And of course, for a Latter-day Saint, 
a big part of their religious history is this idea that Christ Church went into a great apostasy, making it necessary for Joseph Smith to restore the true church as they understand it and restore the true gospel as they understand it. Well, Brigham Young would carry this theme, obviously, with him for a long time, because on July 10, 1870, this would be several years after he made that comment that I just cited, in the Journal of Discourses, volume 14, pages 72 to 73, he said, But the fact exists that the Father, the Divine Father, whom we serve, the God of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of our spirits, provided this sacrifice and sent his Son to die for us. And it is also a great fact that the Son came to do the will of the Father, and that he has paid the debt in fulfillment of the Scripture, which says, quote, He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, end quote. Is it so on any other earth, Brigham Young asks? He says, on every earth. And then he asks this question, how many earths are there? He continues, I observed this morning that you may take the particles of matter composing this earth, and if they could be enumerated, they would only be a beginning to the number of the creations of God. And they are continually coming into existence and undergoing changes and passing through the same experience that we are passing through. Sin is upon every earth that ever was created. And if it was not so, I would like some philosophers to let us know how people can be exalted to become sons of God and enjoy a fullness of glory with the Redeemer. Consequently, every earth has its Redeemer, and every earth has its tempter, and every earth and the people thereof, in their turn and time, receive all that we receive, and pass through all the ordeals that we are passing through. And pass through all the ordeals that we are passing through. See, this is why I raised that question about our brothers and sisters going through the same type of history that we have gone through on this planet. But when Brigham Young makes this comment, Consequently, every earth has its redeemer, and every earth has its tempter. Now, he's kind of giving the impression that it's Jesus that is the redeemer on worlds that Heavenly Father or Elohim has organized. In other words, the God of Mormonism, the one they refer to as Heavenly Father, Earth is not just his. He has other Earths out there. And I guess Jesus is on these other Earths doing what he does. We assume living a perfect life and dying and being resurrected, then those inhabitants would put their faith in him. But let's not forget, in LDS theology, Faithful Latter-day Saint males are hoping in the next life to also attain godhood. They hope also by attaining godhood, they will also get the ability to organize matter into their own world. And dare we say, worlds, plural. I mean, if Heavenly Father has multiple worlds, multiple earths, why would you not think that the average Latter-day Saint living next door to you, if he were to become a god, wouldn't have multiple worlds himself? If Brigham Young is telling us the truth, and every earth has its redeemer, and every earth has its tempter, it would be pretty odd to assume that 
your average Latter-day Saint who becomes a god is going to have the same Jesus Christ to be his earth's redeemer. That's not likely. He's working under the auspices of his father. So that would mean, if, again, Brigham Young is telling us the truth, that when the Latter-day Saint becomes God, that he is going to have a tempter on his earth and or earth's making it necessary to have a redeemer on his earth and or earths. Now, let me ask you something, Eric. Does does that really sound like a heaven to you? Because I remember having a conversation with a Latter-day Saint years ago, and this young man was listening to me talk to a group of Latter-day Saints, and he wasn't saying a word. He was just standing off to the side. Well, The conversation came to an end, and I was standing there, and he came up to me, a very nice young man, and he was asking me why I don't want to be a Mormon. And I explained to him that his idea of the hereafter did not appeal to me at all. And he was puzzled by that. So I explained to him, I said, this world that we live in, think of all that we read in our newspapers every day. And again, this was years ago, and I'm paraphrasing my thoughts. I'm not quoting myself exactly, but basically the conversation went along these lines. I was explaining to him that this world being corrupted by sin basically is kind of a horrible place to live when you think about it. And it must be awfully depressing for Heavenly Father to look down on his creation and to see what a mess we've made of ourselves and what a mess we've made of our own environment. And I thought, if I were Latter-day Saint and I were to become a god, according to the way I understand their theology, I would also organize my own world like this one. And then if Brigham Young is telling the truth, I would have also fallen offspring, making it necessary to have a redeemer. And I'm thinking, that would not be heaven for me to see what a mess this world is in. And I started explaining to him in much more detail why I had those thoughts. After it was over, he looked at me, and kind of with a smile on his face, he says, I can see why you don't want to be a Mormon. Well, why would I want to be in charge of this? And that's basically what I said to him. I says, I'm embarrassed that I'm a part of this problem right now as a fallen human. The last thing I want is to be in charge of something like this. And that's really what Heavenly Father is doing right now. He's in charge of a fallen world like this. And consider this, Eric, most of the offspring of his don't even recognize him for who he is. If that's what his heaven is supposed to all be about, it makes you wonder what Heavenly Father thinks of that. Why would God be pleased with what he sees going on here? This is proof, Bill, that you can take the Bible and make anything up that you want, because we talked about this earlier in the week. Remember, we've talked about Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and verse 2, it says, "...hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things." by whom also he made the worlds. Larry Porter made a big deal about that. Here's a Bible verse that's supporting this idea of the worlds. But as we've talked about this week, it's not talking about inhabited worlds. So you have to use other scriptures, such as Doctrine and Covenants and the Book of Moses and the Pearl of Great Price to support that idea. 
Bill, I think there are ramifications for believing this doctrine or having this doctrine taught by these earlier leaders about the idea that others exist on other worlds. And I think we can see this in a Mormon apologist. His name is Stephen W. Gibson. He wrote a book titled One Minute Answers to Anti-Mormon Questions, page 80. Listen to his rationale for why he believes that men live on the moon. He said, at the present time, man has no scientific or revealed knowledge of whether or not there are inhabitants on the Earth's moon. The fact that a handful of astronauts didn't see any inhabitants in the tiny area they viewed when they landed on the moon decades ago certainly gives no definitive information any more than visitors to Earth who might land in barren Death Valley would have any idea of the billions of inhabitants elsewhere. He's right. When we went to the moon, they were only in one little area. But notice, he's not saying that that proves the doctrine false. He's basically supporting the doctrine that Joseph Smith taught, and we cited earlier from Oliver B. Huntington, that he learned this from Joseph Smith, that there were men on the moon. And we also cited Brigham Young, who took it a step further, saying not only are are there inhabitants on the moon, but there's also inhabitants on the sun. See, it starts to make our head hurt to think how wide and absurd this doctrine can become based on a false notion. Perhaps even Joseph Smith got that idea from Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. We don't know because Doctrine and Covenants 76 doesn't cite anything else other than an alleged revelation that he claimed to receive from God. You can see just how far a false teaching can go. And as far as we know, Stephen Gibson is still alive. And yet he is defending the notion that there are, in fact, inhabitants on our moon. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.